0: Good evening, New Art family. It's good to be back together with you again, as this week and next week we study the minor prophets. As Pastor Arash said, minor doesn't mean that they are smaller or insignificant. It just means they're shorter. So I guess if we were looking at things, they're short and they carry a big punch. So Pastor Arash would probably be considered a minor prophet. Before we get started tonight talking about Amos, let's take a minute to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to come together and study your word. Please open our understanding, our hearts, and let us hear your voice tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, first what I want to get encourage you to do is to take time and read these Minor Prophets. Take time to read Amos. It won't take a really long time. If you don't enjoy reading, listen to Amos. There's a lot of Bible apps where you can just listen to scripture and please go to the Bible project online and look at the book of Amos. It's fascinating the way they draw it out and they just kind of walk you through and give you a really good overview of Amos. I would encourage you to watch that before you read it because then things will jump out at you and do that with all of these minor prophets. I really enjoyed studying this one and I know you will as well. So let's talk about who Amos was. Amos was a shepherd. He the Bible says he was a shepherd of sheep and he was a fig tree caretaker. I don't know if that meant he was he owned it and he was the farmer per se, or if he just cared for the fig trees. So Amos lives um, during his time, Israel and the Judah were separated. They had become their their own countries per se. And Amos lived right on the border in Judah. And he is called of God to take take God's word, God's prophecy to the northern kingdom to Israel. And off he goes, the shepherd. This tells us a lot about him uh, if you study shepherds. He was probably not wealthy, probably not the most favored among society, especially the society he was going into. So. Amos has to take the people of Israel a message. And he has dreams and he has visions. And when you go to the Bible project, it'll show you how God spoke through him and to him and his visions and how that's broken up. And it's it's really neat. But Amos pretty much went to tell the people of Israel, you're in a mess. And you think you're you're awesome. You're sitting in a place where you think you are fine, you think you're all dressed up for a party, and you're in you're pretty much in in a a muddy, miry place like where pigs would wallow. And so that's why I'm sitting here tonight. I'm in the process of cleaning our basement, a very long process. (laughs) It seems like the more I clean and get rid of, the more messy it gets and the more I find. And so I'm sitting here in my chair and I'm all dressed up like I'm going to church in the middle of my mess. And I can sit here and pretend that this mess is not here and I could pretend I'm in church or that I'm at a party and everything in life is grand. But I'm not. I'm at home. Uh, We're not in church because of the pandemic. And my basement is a mess. And sometimes my whole house feels like this. And so Amos is going to address a people that are in a mess. They're ignoring God. They're not paying attention to his warnings. And they think, a lot of them think they're fine. So, in the beginning of Amos uh, there's a, you would think from the way it opens that Amos is going to immediately start talking to Israel. But he goes to Israel and he begins prophesying about all the surrounding nations. And a way you can visualize it is that Israel is surrounded by all these nations. And Amos is is prophesying about them and their sin. Much of the sin that Israel has copied and the judgment upon these nations. And so Amos kind of as um, the Bible project describes as he bullseye it. He starts out with these nations and he works his way until he gets to Israel. And then he pretty much repeats not only the sins of these other nations, but the other ones that Israel has heaped upon themselves. And they are, they are living and indulging and relishing this sinful lifestyle. And so tonight I want to talk to you about what God sends Amos to address. And then kind of how it applies to us. So in Amos chapter 2, you see and in and then further on, we'll start in Amos chapter two. there are God just begins to list the things he is he is so disgusted with Israel about. In all of this is idol worship. We're not going to focus a lot on idol worship. It's just no, it is woven through all throughout. They worshiped many gods and they were completely um, encased in idol worship. and and some of the the results of that is those gods created by humans were, were not. they didn't create nice gods for themselves and so there was lots of negative repercussion just in society in general. So, one of the first thing god's men- God mentioned is that they sold the honest and the poor into slavery. Not only did they sold them into slavery, but it says for mere clothing articles. They would sell a human being for a pair of shoes for an article of clothing and then they would deny them any form Of legal representation so they could sell them for a pair of sandals and then the the person had no recourse let's say uh, the specific type of slavery is that they were allowing people that were poor to sell themselves into slavery they were poor they were starving it's like I will sell myself to you as a slave you will just feed me well then they would trade that person to somebody else for a pair of shoes but that person has no way and no legal representation no way to say well this was our agreement when we started and so these people were com- continually taken advantage of. Next, he said that you're indulging in sexual sin, all kinds of sexual sin. Uh, it wasn't limited; it was just it was lots of sexual sin. Some in their worship to these idols, and then just in their lives, they were indulging in, in sexual sin. Thirdly, they they were this was this really caught my eye. They were cl- wearing clothing they had not paid for. Scripture says that um, they were wearing clothing they were in. they hadn't paid their debtors for. It. They were in debt. So they were buying all these clothes to look good, to look better than their situation, or to be prideful. They didn't even pay for it. They owed the people for them. And it says that this, this type of debt extended even to the, the money that they used to buy offerings to, to worship God and then all of these other gods was money that was, they were either in debt for it or they had stolen it from the poor. So they've stolen money and they're using stolen money or b- borrowed money they were in debt for. And and God says, uh, th- this is not even a legit offering even to your, your false idols, your false gods, because it's stolen, it's stolen money. You can't give away something that's not yours. That they had caused the Nazarites to drink wine. The Nazarites took a vow that they wouldn't drink wine while they were in this vow with God. And he said, you caused them to, you enticed them to drink wine and to break their covenant and their vow with God. He said that these people hated honest judges. That's kind of hard to imagine. If they were an honest judge, they hated them. They only wanted judges that would, would suit their needs and what they wanted. They would steal from the poor through taxes and unfair rent. So, God is livid. He is angry that they have taxed these people, overtaxed them, and then charged them unfair rent. And then they cheat people. They enslave, and then they turn around. The people they cheated, they enslave them for even the smallest debt. It said for them being in debt for a pair of sandals or a piece of silver. So, they're cheaters. They cheat people. They they mess with their scales. They, they sell food that has is has got um, husk and nasty things in it and then they turn around and they enslave the very people they just cheated for for minuscule things. After after God goes in the book of Amos, God speaks to Amos to go through this list and list of things and all throughout that he's talking about idol worship and he's talking about um, their their wicked hearts and how many things he's done to try and draw them back to him and how aggravated and how he's just done. He is bringing horrible judgment amos tries to remind the people he says um, he addresses the miraculous acts of deliverance protection and provision that god has given the people of israel and judah he reminds them of being um you know rescued from egypt of being the different wars and battles that they fought and how god brought them out and gave them victory of times of healing miraculous intervention And 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 God addresses through Amos when he talks to them. He says he uses the term, "I rescued the entire family," and he directly addresses Israel and Judah here, calling them an entire family. These two, the nation had split into two parts, but God puts a strong focus here on the fact that they are one, even though they view themselves as two separated parts. God is saying, calling them one entire family, not a divided family that's a very strong focus there that God is saying I, he didn't have anything to do this that's not the way he views it it is not what he intended and then in Amos 3 verse 2 there is a reminder from God that all of he says of all the families of the earth all the families I could have chosen I chose you I chose your family to be my called out ones, my separate ones, my holy ones. He chose Abraham's family. So I want to briefly look back at why Israel was chosen and what they were chosen for. When we go to Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go out from your country, your country, apologize, your relatives and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you but the one who treats you lightly I must curse and all the families of the earth will bless, earth will bless one another by your name. So this is Genesis chapter chapters 12 verses 1 through 3. So the, the reason Israel was chosen the, the God chose Israel for a purpose and the purpose was that they would exemplify divine blessing. They were to be separated to God. They were supposed to be different. They were supposed to show to the world what it was like to live righteously for God and have his divine blessing. But that is not what's going on. In Amos, we see the exact opposite happening. Not only are they following after the ways of everyone else, of all these other wicked nations, but they're even worse than some of those nations. And God is angry because he chose them. He says, I could have chose from any other family of the whole earth. I chose from Abraham's family. I chose your family. And this is how I get repaid. I have blessed you. I have given to you. So then we see God continue after that, God continues to talk about. In chapter 4, he, he discusses his disgust, utter disgust, at the gluttony and indulgence of Israel and Samaria. Um, the poor are being mistreated and destroyed. And yet, he even, he even uses the term in the Bible I was reading, the way it was translated. He refers to the women of Samaria as fat cows. Uh, there, there it is. It came out of the Bible. He refers to them as as fat cows. I'm I'm sure it was a different verbiage, but because they are indulging in, and he talks about drinking. He says that they're they're so focused on what they're eating and they're drinking and how amazing their their mansions and their houses are that they won't even get off the couch to get themselves something a drink they ask to tell their husbands go get me some more to drink as they as they g- completely fill themselves and um, in, with indulgence and god is disgusted with it and then in chapter 4 verses 4 through 5 it says bringing daily offerings he says this is what you're doing now you're worshiping false idols you're cheating you're mistreating people you're indulging to the point that you're just disgusting and gluttonous Then he says, but on top of that, you are bringing daily offerings and paying tithes every three days. He says, and then you bring me praise and thanksgiving offerings. And God is telling them, you can't buy me off. You can't pay me off. Um, I'm not going to ignore your sinful lifestyle because you bring me offerings just like you do all the false gods. And then he calls them out because not only do they give all those offerings, but he says you give extra offerings, additional offerings so that you can go tell everyone everywhere that you gave additional offerings and how awesome you are. Isn't that terrible? Um, and God is, God is not impressed. So in chapter five, verses 21 through 24, I want to read to you what the Lord says. He says, I hate all your show and pretense the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all the choice peace offerings. Away with your hymns of praise. They are only noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music, no matter how lovely it is. Instead, I want to see a mighty, flood of justice and a river of righteous living that will never run dry. That is so powerful. He's saying the offerings, these things you give me, you're not sincere. What I want to see is a mighty flood of justice and a river of righteous living that will never run dry. Amos goes on to then, he has dreams and visions of what God is going to do and the judgment that is coming upon Israel. Amos pleads in these visions for God to stop. Please don't completely destroy Israel. And um, and God says, he reminds Amos that he has promised previously not to completely destroy them. That there's that mercy That Pastor Arash was talking about, that mercy committee says, I promise not to completely destroy them. Um, But he did, but then he tacked something on that I haven't noticed in a lot of the other, as much in the other minor prophets. He states that he will have mercy and there will be a remnant, but all of those who were just, who were encased in this life of sinfulness, And those who said nothing bad will happen to us in response to the prophet would die by the sword. So there would be a remnant, but not those people. He would take the remnant from another, probably the poor, the needy, or those that were. I do believe that even in all of that, there were still those that did uh, seek God and live for God. So then in chapter 9 verse 11 through 15 we see hope peeking through is in the last few verses god reveals a time when the israelites will return to their land and he gives insight hints and just about the the kingdom of david and the the messianic kingdom that will come which is is jesus not only did he come as the messiah but one day he will return and he will rule and he will reign on this earth and it, it gives allusion to that to hope that everything isn't lost, even though you will be carried away in judgment. So, Amos is a great book. Uh, it really is. If you go in knowing a little bit where it's going, then you can see the you can see how he go. He kind of goes back and forth and back and forth in his uh, what God's disgusted with and then judgment. But knowing if you watch the Bible project going into that, it's it's really neat how how things pop out at you. But I want us to take a minute, because the Word of God is living and it's powerful. And I want us to take a minute and I want us to look into the mirror of Scripture. The Scripture talks about itself as a mirror that we hold up and we can see, look at ourselves. And I want us to, to use the mirror of Scripture through Amos to see what our lives reflect. So, this we're going to go back through the list of things I talked about earlier. And I don't want you to think about somebody else. I don't want you to think about, oh, that's them. Oh, that'd be really good for them or my husband or my wife or my kids or so-and-so at church or maybe somebody that doesn't even attend our church. Not anybody else's life but our own. And let's just, I want you to block out all the, the noise. You might have kids. You might have something else going on. You might be cooking dinner. Whatever you're doing, if you could just stop. While you're watching this, you might be sitting on the couch. You might be doing something. Just stop for just a minute. won't take long. And I want us to just take a deep breath and allow God to speak to us through his word. Amos is a very powerful book. And what God talks about, what God exposes himself to us in the book of Amos. God is very vulnerable. In that he says, this really makes me angry when you do this. This hurts me. And we have an opportunity to look at it and see, okay, what in my life is angering or hurting my Savior? The one that loves me more than anyone could ever love me. And so I took the list that I read earlier. And we'll go back through it says that they sold the honest and poor into slavery for mere clothing articles and denied any form of justice. Do we, you and I, do we value possessions more than people? Because that's what this comes down to. Do we value possessions, things, all this, this junk? Do we va- Even this is not junk. There's some stuff down here that's not junk. But do we value our stuff? Our possessions, our time, our food, whatever it is that we are, cars, our technology, more than people. And do we want justice for everyone? Or only justice that benefits us, our agenda, our desires, and our needs? The next thing was indulge in sexual sin. Are we doing that? Are we indulging in sexual sin? I can't answer that for you. I can only answer that for me. And only you can answer that from you. Are there things, are there sins, sexual sins in our lives that we're indulging in? That we're not pushing back. We're not fighting the good fight. But we just decided to indulge in it. The next one is they wear clothing they have not paid for. Are we, you and I, controlled by debt? Are we consumed by debt and controlled by debt? Do we get into debt trying to portray a certain image? See, these people were completely consumed with their image and how they looked and, and everything that they did, they were borrowing and stealing and they had, they had debt. It wasn't, it wasn't like they had, they were trying. These people were just indulging in debt. Are we indulging in debt? That can be very easy to do in a Western mindset. Do we have to have an image to portray to other people? Or can we be real? They caused Nazarites to drink wine. Do we cause, are we causing someone else to break a commitment they have made to God? We all have commitments we're making to God. Things that God is dealing with us with individually. And it may be different than what our brother or our sister is is dealing with. Are we mocking their commitment? Are we saying, you don't have to do that. That's not a big deal. And and encouraging them and tempting them to to just throw their hands up and say, never mind God, I'm not going to commit this to you anymore. Are we encouraging people to do that? The people, I skipped this one accidentally earlier. They told the prophets to shut up. I missed that earlier. That's pretty terrible. Um, But then if we bring it to our own lives, do we ever speak out against the ones that God has chosen to speak to us through? Do we speak out against them? Do we attack them? Do we disagree with them to the point that we want to um, lash out at them? Do we try to shut them up? we don't like what they're saying they hated honest judges do you and I hate honest officials do we want the truth or do we want what supports our purposes depending on the situation we all have different situations And we typically humans see themselves as right and the innocent party. But do we really want honest judges that are looking for the truth or just someone that will side with us? Stealing from the poor through taxes and unfair rent. Do we take advantage of others? Do you and I take advantage of others? Maybe not every day. Maybe not most people. But is there a temptation, a situation where you're really just tempted to take advantage of another person or a hurt, you've been hurt by them and that the need to get back causes you to take advantage of them? Do we cheat people? It would be very difficult for you and I to enslave anyone, but do we cheat others and then turn around? and uh, we've broken the rules, we cheated, we've broken the law, we've done something inappropriate, but then when someone else does any little thing, we condemn them. It's okay if we do it. It's okay if I do this, but don't, oh, look what they did. It's easy to do that when someone has hurt us, to pick out their flaws, pick out their issues and look past our own. Are we living in sin, refusing to change? Are we refusing to answer the call of God? He was calling Israel to draw close to him, to push away these things, to push away idol worship and these actions and the way they were living their lives. Will we let him draw us close? And change us and cause us to change and call us to change? Are we fake? Are we following the rules when others are looking? The scripture example was paying tithes, offering, praising, giving thanks. Are we, are we get, when we get together, are we coming together? And we want to look a certain way and do a certain thing and be a certain thing when we're around certain people because we want to look like a disciple of Christ, a believer. We even want God to believe it, but then inside and then when we're away really living a life based on our own desires and the lust of the flesh are we giving extra just for show whether it's money time uh, ourselves work effort things that we can give are, are we doing extra just for show so we feel better about ourselves so others will see us so that we can have admiration and others will respect us because, you know, I'm a faithful giver and I'm, I give extra and I'm, uh, you know, I'm part of the, I'm, part, I'm solid. Or are we giving out of a heart because we love the Lord and we love his kingdom and we want to be givers? It's easy to fall into the trap. It's easy. It's not even a condemnation from, from myself or, or anybody else. It's easy to fall into the trap of doing something because we crave admiration. We crave, uh, a, you did a good job. I'm proud of you. Because God designed us that we should tell people we're proud of them. We should encourage people, but that can't be the basis of our giving. I want to read Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24. One more time. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Away with your hymns of praise. They are only noise to my ears. Oh, how that would grieve my spirit. If the Lord told me, away with your hymns. I love to sing praises. I love to sing worship songs and music. How would that break our hearts and our spirit if the Lord said, I don't, you're just making noise in my ears because your heart is so corrupt and your actions are so against my word. That would be a horrible, horrible thing to hear. I will not listen to your music no matter how lovely it is. Instead, and this is what we need to focus on, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. A river of righteous living that will never run dry. Oh, I want to be in that river of righteous living. Am I perfect? Am I ever going to fail? No, I'm not perfect. And yes, I'm going to fail, but I don't want to stand on the banks of this river of righteous living. I don't even want to wade where I'm at my ankles or my knees, but I want to dive in to the river of righteous living. I want to be covered in that river of righteous living. And I know you do too. And sometimes, we will mess up and we have to jump back in and we have to keep going. And that's why the mercy of God is such a beautiful thing. So tonight, ask yourself the question, how can I step further into the river of righteous living that will never run dry? And then what am I holding on to that would keep me in the shallow end? the river? What what am I holding on to that would keep me at the river's edge? That would keep me out of this wonderful river of of righteous living where justice abides? And let the Lord speak to your heart. Let him draw you deeper into that river of righteous living, of, of holiness unto him. Let him draw you into that river because he will. He will continue to speak to each of us and draw us and minister to us because he wants to be there with us he doesn't kick us out in the river alone he wants us to be in the river of righteous living because that's where he is and he's waiting and he wants to be with us let's pray lord jesus thank you so much that you speak through your word to us we can read something that was written long ago and it still shouts out to us and calls us to you and calls us to live a life of repentance and a life of change and ever drawing closer to you. Thank you that we can read your word and we can learn and we can grow and then we can listen for your voice as you instruct us things we may not even know are in our heart. And you can say, hey, let's deal with this. And, and you begin to draw us, and you begin to change us, and you heal us, and you cleanse us, and you make us whole. Thank you for that, Jesus. Tonight, Lord, draw us deeper into the river of righteous living. And let us spend the rest of our lives in deep in that river, listening and following you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Please go read Amos, watch the the Bible Project, and enjoy time in the Scripture with the Lord. Good night. I love you all.